0: Ashley Brock reading Nora Roberts' book *Sea Swept*, and I like to apologize for that last chapter because I forgot these books are very emotional. Because I haven't read them in a while, and this is the first time I've read them I think, in almost a year, so I like to apologize for that. But anyways, here is Nora Roberts' book *Sea Swept*, chapter eleven. Pretty Saturday mornings in the spring were not meant to be spent indoors or or on crowded streets. Ethan, they were meant to be spent on the walk. The idea of shopping, actually shopping, was very close to terrifying. I don't see why we all have to do this. Because he got to the Jeep first, Cam rode in front, turned his head to spare Ethan a glance. Because we're all in this. The old Claremont Barnes for Rent writes, We need a place if we're going to build boats. We have to make the deal. Insanity was all Philip had to say as he turned down Market Street in St. Chris. Can't go into business if you don't have a place of business. Cam returned. He found that single fact in arguable logic. So we take a look at it, make the deal with Claymont and get started. License, taxes, materials, orders, for God's sakes, there'll be tools, advertising, phone lines, fax lines, bookkeeping. So take care of it, Cam Shop cares. As soon as we sign the lease and get the kid his shoes, we can do whatever comes next. I can do it, Philip complained at the same time, Seth muttered. you didn't need any damn shoes. Ethan got our first order. I found out about the building. You take care of the paperwork. And you're getting the damn shoots, he told that. I don't know how you come. You're the boss of everybody. Cam could only manage a short run left. Me neither. The Claymart building was really a barn, but it, was old. It, but it was as big as one. In the mid-1700s, it had been a tobacco warehouse. After the Revolutionary War, the British ships no longer sailed to St. Chris carrying a wide variety of goods businesses that had boomed went bankrupt <clears throat> the arrival in the late 1800s grew directly from the bay with improved methods of canning and packing the national market for oysters opened up and st. Chris once again prospered once again prospered and the old tobacco warehouse was refitted as a packing-house. Then the oyster beds played out, and the building became a glorified storage shed. Over the last fifty years, it had been emptied as often as it was filled. From the outside, it was impetuous. Sun and weather faded brick, thumb-sized holes in the mortar, a sagging old roof that was desperately in need of reshingling. What windows it could boost were small and stingy, most were broken, all were filthy. Oh yeah, this looks promising. Already disgusted, fell apart in the pit a lot at the side of the building. We need space, cameraman. Doesn't have to be pretty. Good thing, because this doesn't come close to pretty. A bit more interested now. he's climbed out. He walked up to the closest window, used the bandana from his back pocket to rub off most of the grime so he could peer through. It's a good space. Got cargo doors at the back. Dock needs a little work. A little! Oops, staring over. It's Floor's rotten out. It's gotta be infested with vermin. Probably termites and rodents. Probably be a good idea to mention that to Claymore. Claremont. He didn't decide to keep the rent down. Hearing the tickle of glass breaking, he saw that Cam had just put his elbow through an, through an already cracked window. Guess we're going inside. Breaking and entering. Philip on shoes. That's a good start. Cam put the pathetic lock on the window and shut it open. It was already broken. Give me a minute. He boosted himself inside. Disappeared. Cool. Set the side of him before a word could be spoken. He climbed inside, too. Nice example, we're setting for him. Philip ran a hand over his face, which feverishly he'd never given up smoking. Well, think of it this way you can have picked the locks, but you didn't. Right, listen, Ethan, we've got to think about this. There's no reason why you can't, we can't build the first boat at your place. Once we start renting buildings, filing the tax numbers, we're committed. What's the worst that can happen? We waste some time and some money. I figured I've got enough boats. Heard the mix of Cam's and Seth's laughter echoing inside. And maybe we'll have some fun while we're at it. He started around to the front door and Philip would grumble about following. I saw a rat set up of to light when Cam showed the front door open. It was awesome. Rats. Philip studied the damn space grimly before stepping inside. Lovely. We'll have to get us a couple of she-cats, even besides they're meaner than Tom's. He looked up, scanning the high ceiling. Water damage showed clearly in the open rafters. There was a loft, but the steps leading up to it were broken, rot, and very likely rats had eaten at the scarred wood floor. It would require a great deal of cleaning out and repair, but the space was generous. He began to allow himself to dream. smell of wood under the saw, the tang of oil, the slap of hammer on nail, the glint of brass, the squeak of rigging, you could already see the way the sun would slant into through new clean windows onto the skeleton of a slope. Throw up some walls, I guess for an office, Cam set Campbell saying said, dashed here and there, spooning and exclaiming, we'll have to draw up plans or something. This place is a heap. Philip pointed out. Yeah, so it'll come cheap. Put a couple thousand in fixing it up. Better to have it bulldozing and start over. Phil, try to control that wild optimism. King, eternity, what do you think? It'll do. It'll do what? Phil told Rosen. Okay. Fall down around our ears at the moment a spider. At that moment a spider, which Phil estimated to be about the size of a chinchilla, crawled over the toe of his shoe. <laughs> Get me a gun, he muttered. Cam only laughed and slapped him on the back. Let's go see Claremont. Stuart Claremont was a little man with hard eyes and a dissatisfaction satisfied mouth. The little chunks of Saint Christopher that he owned were most often left to fall into disrepair, and he, if his tenants complained loudly enough, he occasionally and grudgingly tinkered with plumbing or heat or patched a roof. But he believed in saving his pennies for a rainy day. In Claremont's mind, it never rained quite hard enough to part with a cent. Still, his house on Oyster Shell Lane was a showplace. As anyone in St. Chris could tell you, his wife Nancy could nag the ears off a turnip, and she ruled the roost. The wall-to-wall carpet was thick and soft. The walls prettily pampered. Fuzzy curtains were Ruthlessly coordinated with fuzzy upholstery, magazines lay military lines over a gleaming cherry wood coffee table that matched gleaming cherry wood in tables that matched gleaming cherry wood occasional tables. Nothing was out of place in the Claymont house. Each room looked like a picture from a magazine, like the picture Kim used, and not at all like life. Say you're interested in the barn with a stretched out grin his teeth, Claymont ushered them all into his den. It was decorated in English, barbarian style. The dark paneling was accented with hunting prints. There were deep cushioned leather chairs and a port wine shade. A desk with bra- brass fittings and a brick fireplace covered converted to gas. The big screen television seemed both out of place and typical. Mildly. Mildly, Philip told him had been agreed on the drive-over that Philip would handle the negotiations. We're just starting to look around for space. Terrific old place. Claymont sat down behind his desk and gestured. them. lots of history, I'm sure, but we're not interested in history in this case. There seems to be a lot of rots. <laughs> a bit. Claymont waved that away with one short thing in hand. You live around here, what can you expect? You boys thinking of starting some business or other? We're considering it. We're in the talking about it stages. Uh huh. Claymart didn't think so, or the three of them wouldn't be sitting on the other side of his desk. As he considered just how much rent he could pry out of them, or what he considered an irritating weight around his neck, he looked and said, Well, we talk about it then. Maybe the boy here wants to go outside. No, he doesn't, Cam said without well, a We're all talking about it. That's the way you want it, so Claymart thought. That's the way it was. He could hardly wait to tell Nancy why he had a good close up look at the kid now. And a half blind idiot could see Ray Queen in those eyes. St. Ray, he thought sourly, looked like the mighty had fallen. Yes, sir. And he was going to enjoy letting people know what was what. I'm looking for a five year lace, he told Philip. Correctly, judging who would be handling the business. In. We're looking for one year at this point with an option for seven. Of course, we could expect certain repairs to be completed before we took a to see Repairs? <laughs> Clay Martin and <Lutheran. laughs> That place is solid as rock. Well. and would require termite inspection and treatment. Regular maintenance would, of course, be our responsibility. Ain't no damn bugs in that place. <laughs> well, then... Philip smiled, you'd only have to arrange for the inspection. Why are you asking, what are you asking for in rent? Because he was annoyed and because he always despised Ray Quinn. Claymark bumped up his figure. Two thousand a month. Two. Two. Before Kim would choke out his opinion, Phil roused. No point in wasting your time then, we appreciate you seeing him. Hold it, hold it. Claymark chuckled, fought out the a little tug of panic at having a deal slip through his fingers a little. Didn't say that was negotiable after all. I knew your daddy. and that tight-lipped smile briefly said, No more than 25 years. I won't fight right. I feel right if I didn't give his boys a little break. Fine. Philip settled down again and rested, rubbing his hands together. Fought all his... he uh, forgot all his objections to overall plan and his delight in the yard of the day. Let's negotiate. What the hell have I done? 30 minutes later... Philip sat in his jeep, methodically wrapping his head against the steering wheel. A damn good job, I'd say. Ethan patted him on the shoulder. He reached the Jeep ahead of Cam this time and had taken Winter's Port in front of him. Cut his opening price in half, got him to agree to paying for most of the repairs if we do them ourselves, and confess and confused him enough to have him go for a, what was it? Rent control clause, And we take the seven year option? The place is a dump. We're gonna pay twelve thousand dollars a year, not including utilities and maintenance, for a pit. Yeah, but now it's our pit. Please, Cam, stretch out his leg. Go try. Pull that seat up, Ethan. I'm jammed back here. Nope. Maybe you should drop me back by my place. I can start figuring things, and I can't get. And I can get a lift home later. We're going shopping. Cam reminded him. I don't need any damn shoes, Seth said again, but in reflex rather than annoyance. You're getting damn shoes, and you're getting a damn haircut while we're at it, and we're all going to the damn mall. <laughs> I'd rather get hit with a brick than go to the mall on a Saturday. He's hunched down in a seat, pulling the brim of his cap all over his eyes. He couldn't bear to think about it. When you start working in that death trap, Phil told him, you'll likely be hit with a ton of them. If I have to get a haircut, everybody's getting one. Cam glanced briefly at Sam's mutinous face. You think this is the democracy? Shit, grab some reality kid, you're ten. You could use one, Philip met Cam's eyes in the rearview mirror as he drove north out of St. Chris. Your hair's longer than his. Shut up, Phil. He's in god damn it pull your seat up. I hate the all. And defiance and inspect his own legs out and tip the back of his seat down now. It's full of people. Pete the Barber still got his place on Market Street. Yeah, and everybody who walks out of it looks like Beaver Cleaver. Pressure to Kim. Give the back of the seat of the solid kit. Keep your feet off my upholstery, Philip one, or you'll walk to the damn mall. Tell them to give me some room. If I have to get shoes, I gotta pick them out. You don't have anything in it. If I'm paying for the shoes, you'll wear what I tell you and I like it. Bye-bye. I'm myself. I got myself. Tw- I got $20. Can't sort of now try to get a grip on that re- de- reality again, pal. You Can't buy a decent socks for 20 these days. You can if you don't have to have some fancy designer label on them. You can toss them. This isn't Paris. You haven't bought decent shoes in 10 years. Can't be back. And if you don't. Pull up that freaking seat. I'm going to cut it out. i going to cut it out right now, or I swear I'm going to pull over and knock your heads together. Oh, my God. <laughs> Took one hand off the wheel of to drag it down. I sound like Mom. Forget it. Just forget it. Kill each other. I'll knock the bodies in the mall parking lot and drive to Mexico. I'll learn how to weave mats and sell them on the beach at Cozumel. It'll be quiet. It'll be peaceful. I'll change my name to Raoul. I know him will know. I was never related to a bunch of fools. Seth scratched his belly, turned again. Does he always talk like that? Yeah, mostly sometimes he's going to be per gonna be paris and live in a garret in Paris, but it's the same thing. Weird was <laughs> well, Seth's only comment. He pulled a piece of bubble gum out of his pocket, unwrapped it, popped it into his mouth. Getting new shoes was turning into an adventure. It would have stopped the shoes if Cam hadn't noticed that Seth the seat of Seth's jeans were nearly worn through. Not that he thought that was a big deal, he sure himself, but it was probably best since they were there anyway to pick up a couple pairs of jeans. He had no doubt that if Seth hadn't pitched bitched so much about trying on jeans himself, wouldn't have felt compelled to push on to shirts, shorts to a windbreaker, and somehow they ended up with three ball caps and an Oreo sweatshirt and a glow-in-the-dark (laughs) frisbee. When he tried to think back to exactly where he'd taken the first wrong turn, it all became a blur of clothes racks, complaining voices, and cash-registered churning. The dogs greeted them when with wild and desperate enthusiasm, the minute they pulled into the drive, this would have been enduring, but for the fact that the pair of them reeked of dead fish. With much cussing, cursing, and shoving and threats, the humans escaped into the house, shutting the dogs with their hurt feelings outside. The phone was ringing. Somebody get that. Can't wait. Can't wait. Said, take this junk upstairs and go get those stinking dogs back. Both of them. Thought thrilled, but he thought it best to complain. How come I have to do it? Because I said so. Now he hated falling back on something that lame and I know. The hoses around back God, I wanna be here. But because he lacked the energy enough for that, he dropped into the closest chair, stared glass eyed at nothing. If he had to face that maw again in his life in this life, he promised himself he would just shoot himself in the head and be done with it. That was Anna, Philip told him as he wandered back into the room. And a Saturday night. He couldn't stop me. I need a transfusion. <laughs> she said to tell you she'd take care of dinner. Good, fine. I've got to pull myself together. The kid's yours and Ethan's for the night. It's Ethan's feel freaking. I've got to date myself. But, but he sank into a chair and closed his It's not even 5 o'clock and all I want to do is crawl into bed in oblivion. How do people do this? He's got enough clothes to last me here before you. Only have to do it once a year, how about can it be? Pelt open one eye. He's got spring and summer clothes. What happens when fall gets here? Sweaters, coats, boots, and he's bound to outgrow every damn thing we bought today. We can't allow that to happen. There must be a pill or something we can give him. And maybe he's got a coat already. He came pretty much with the clothes on his back. Dad didn't get a package deal this time either. Okay, we'll think about that later. Lots later. Can't press his fingers a lot. his eye. You all the way Claymore. looked at him, didn't you? And nasty little gleam in his beetle little eyes. I saw it. He'll talk. He'll say what he wants to say. That's what we can do about it. You think the kid knows anything one way or the other? I don't know what Seth knows. Can't get a handle on him. But I'm going to look into investigators on Monday. Check on tracking down their mother. Ask him for trouble. We've already got trouble. The only way to deal with it is to gather information. If it turns out that that's Seth's clinical blood, then we deal with the that. Dad wouldn't have hurt Mom that way. Marriage wasn't just a thing to them. It was the thing, and they were solid. If he slipped, he'd have told her. That Philip firmly believed, and they'd have worked it out. That part of their lives wasn't our business, and it wouldn't be our business now but for Seth. He wouldn't have slipped. Cam remember determined to believe it. I'll tell you one thing I got from them. You get married, you make that promise, that's it. I figured that's why the three of us are still on the single side of life. Maybe, but we can't ignore the talk, the suspicions, and then the insurance company balks on paying off dad's policy. It's going to put all four of us on the bind, especially since we just signed a lease for that hellhole. We'll be okay. Luck's starting to move in our direction. Oh? Bill, ask him. Bill passed his cameras, how do you figure that? Because I'm about to spend the evening with one of the sexiest women on the planet, and I tend to get very lucky. He glanced back as he stared up at head. Don't wait up, bro. When he stepped into his bedroom, Cam heard the commotion from the backyard. He walked to the window and looked down on Seth and the dog. Simon was sitting stoically while Seth soaked him up. Bullish raced him in mad circles, barking in excitement and terror at the hose that was pouring out water had been carelessly tossed on the grass. Of course, the kid was wearing his brand-new shoes, which were now soaking wet and muddy. He was laughing like a loon. He hadn't known the boy could laugh like that. Cam realized as he kept watching. He hadn't known he could look like that, unreservedly happy and young and silly. Simon stood up. gave a long, violent shake, sent water and soap flying. Backing up, Seth slipped in the wet grass and tumbled onto his back. He continued to howl with laughter, both dogs pounced on They wrestled over the water, mud and soap, until the three of them were soaked and filthy. Upstairs Cam just stood watching with a mild wide grin on his face. The image popped in his head when he headed down the hallway to Anna's apartment. He wanted to be able to tell her about it over dinner. He wanted to share it, and he thought it would certainly soften her every bit as much as a quiet meal when a came to restaurant. The roses he picked up on the way Weren't going to hurt either. He sniffed them himself. If he was any judge of the female mind and heart, he'd bet his full state that Anna family had a weak spot for the yellow roses. Boy, he could knock on Anna's door, the door across the hospital. Hello there, you must be the new boyfriend. I, uh, Mrs. Orleman, we met a few days ago. No, then you met my sister. Oh. He smiled cautiously. She looked exactly like the woman who had popped out the door before. She, even down to the pink Chanel. World. Well, how's it going? Well, how's it going? He bought her flowers. She liked that. My boy used to bring me flowers, and my Henry. God rest his soul. Bought me lilacs every way He thinks that lilacs next month, young man. If Anna lets you keep coming around, most of them she skips along. But maybe she'll keep you. Yeah, he managed to smile even as he starts to at the words. Keep you. Maybe on impulse, he pulled out one of the roses out and gave it to her with a neat little flourish. Oh, a girl's blush rose, pink on a wrinkled face. Oh my goodness! Her heart gleamed with pleasure as she sniffed it. How lovely! How sweet! Why, if you were forty years younger, I'd fight Anna for you. She wrinkled, winked alert tater and i'd win no contest he flashed her a turn wink and a grin ah oh, say hi to your sister <laughs> you have a nice time tonight you go dancing she added as to shut as she shut the door good idea and chuckled to himself cam knocked when she answered looking sexy enough to gobble up and treat quick bites Decided the dance begin immediately snatched her up Whirled her around to the throbbing elemental beat of classic Bruce Springsteen and and the E Street Band, then dipped her as she laughed and stumbled. Well, hello! Enjoying the quick dizziness, she jiggled. Let me up! You got me off balance. That's just where I want you. Off balance. He lowered his mouth to hers in a molten kiss that melted every bone in her body. With her head spinning, she clutched at his silk Door still open. She managed to flail out with a hand that slammed it. Good thinking. He brought her up slowly, inch by inch, his mouth still nibbling busily on hers. Your neighbor said I should take a dance. Oh, oh, she was surprised. She was surprised Steve wasn't pumping out a report. Is that what that was? That was just a sample. He caught her bottom lip between his teeth, tugged, released. Want to tango Anna? I think we better set this one out. But she pressed her hand to her heart to hold it in place. And she eased out of her mouth. You brought me flowers? She buried her face in them as she took them home. Figured I was a sucker for rosebuds. buds, did you? Yeah. You're right. She laughed over the glass. I'll put them in water. You can pour some wine. I've got it breathing on the counter. Glasses are right there. Okay, yeah right. He looked over saw a shiny pot steaming on the stove. A platter of pasta on the counter. What's all this? Dinner. She crouched down at the kitchen cupboard to locate a vase. Didn't Philip give you my message? I thought when he told me you'd take care of it, you meant you meant you'd have some place you wanted to go and you'd make the reservations. So you plucked the stuff, and mushroom off the platter, sampled it, and sighed in pure sensual delight. I didn't think you were cooking for me. I like to cook," she said easily as she filled a pale pink vase with water. And I wanted to be alone with you. He swallowed quickly. Hard to argue with that. <laughs> what are we having? Linguini with the famous Spinelli family red sauce. She turned to take the glass of Marley. Marlette he poured for her. Her face was just a little flushed from the kitchen heat dress she'd chosen was the collar of ripe peaches and molded her curves like a lover's hand. Her hair was down and curling maddenly, and her lips were painted nearly the same color as the wine she sipped. Cam decided if they were to have more than a three-second conversation before he grabbed her again, he'd better stay on the opposite side of the counter. It smells incredible. It tastes better. Her pulse was hammering. Everywhere at once the way he looked at her just that one long, intense, and measuring stare before he smiled had brought out her need, a low and nagging ache of need. Throbbing insist- insistently on an impulse, she reached back and turned the flame under the pot off. Keeping her eyes on Cam, she walked around the counter. So do I, she told him. She set her glass aside, then took his, placed it on the counter, shook her hair back, took her face up to his. Smiled slowly. Try me. End of chapter ten, chapter eleven.